What's going on guys? This is Jim Ferreira, editor and commentator for Elephant in the Room. If you need a safe space, this episode probably isn't for you. So thank you for tuning in. For all those who can hack it, for those who can't, uh, well, you're just a click away from, I don't know, the Young Turks or something stupid like that. Rashida Tlaib is being hit up again, other than her notorious impeach that motherfucker slogan. She is being questioned on her own position on Jews. Rashida Tlaib, the first Muslim member of the House of Representatives, might have an issue with Jews. What a surprise. Republican Congressman Brian Babin sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi in regards to Rashida Tlaib, insinuating it probably wouldn't be the best idea to waste taxpayer dollars by sending an anti-Semite as a leader of the West Bank trip. And it probably wouldn't be cool for the U.S. and Israel's relations as well. Uh, this is after Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib was under fire after posing in a picture with a supporter of the terrorist group Hezbollah. She's also openly supported the anti-Israel group BDS, a.k.a. Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement. The entire cause of the BDS is to defund any and all aid to Israel. BDS supports a one-state solution in the belief that Israel does not have a right to existence. It is unknown at this point whether Nancy Pelosi responded to the letter or not, but by not being a dumbass, I can kind of conclude, you know, nothing will get done about it. Seeing how action really isn't Nancy's thing, and she doesn't really like conflict or cameras in her face, so yeah, I doubt she's going to do anything about this. And Rashida isn't alone right now in the fire. There's enough fire to go around for another official. Muslim Democratic Minnesota freshman representative Ilhan Omar is catching hell right now as well. Get this, because back in 2016, she asked a judge for leniency for nine men who plotted to join ISIS. She requested a judge to be lenient on nine guys who planned to join a terrorist organization. Some would draw the conclusion she would have a motive or incentive to do this. So what I wonder is what could that motive be? I mean, what could it be? The men were apprehended because they attempted to buy fake passports to travel to Syria to be recruited by ISIS. They were literally carrying out their plan when they were apprehended. During trial, one of the men stated he was strictly going to Syria to fight and kill on behalf of ISIS. You can't make this shit up. The guy literally said his intent. These are the people she wants leniency for. Now, if you're a liberal, you're probably wondering why I'm specifically talking about these two women. And it has everything to do with their ideology. I'm not surprised a Muslim woman is an anti-Semite. I'm not surprised a Muslim woman would request leniency for nine Muslim men committing treason against America. I'm just surprised they were elected carrying these views. Yo, you know what time it is, it's call them bitches out time.
probably heard recently in the media about anti-Semitism and the Women's March and its strong tie to Louis Farrakhan, the king of anti-Semitism, and other losers like Linda Sarsour, a Palestinian domestic terrorist and anti-Semite. This leads to what I really wanted to talk about in today's episode, and that's good old Islam. All these people have one thing in common. I'm sure you've gotten that figured out by now. But before I go into Islam as today's topic, I want you to know my stance on Islam. Am I anti-Muslim? No, no, I am not. Am I anti-Islam? Yes, yes, I am. Because there is a difference. What do I mean by that? Okay, it's simple. Muslims are people. They are people who I personally believe have been misguided. But they are people nonetheless, and I will always treat people with respect because they are entitled to their own religious beliefs. But Islam, Islam is an ideology. It's an ideology, excuse me, it's an ideology that every westernized country would find inhumane, abhorrent, and inherently evil based off of its prescriptions. And being an ideology, it is fair game to criticism as every other religion is in the world. But where does the ideology come from? Look no further than the prophet Muhammad. Muhammad was an alcoholic, warmonger, sexist, genocidal, slave-owning, rapist, wife-beating, polygamist, pedophile, and a shitty merchant for a day job. And Muhammad taught this way of life. That's why you can still find all these negative characteristics found in the Islamic world today. Muhammad called for the killing of all Christians and Jews. This is why no Muslim nation, no Muslim nations believe honestly that Israel has a right to exist. And Israel has to constantly defend itself from Islamic terrorism and the Palestinian state. This is why at no point in history, Islam as an ideology has never not been at war. Never. The the religion has spread, I mean, successfully, but by the sword. That is how the religion has spread throughout time. There's not a ton of people switching over to Islam. That's not how it works. You're either born into it or you're conquered into it. Muhammad taught to kill apostates. So if you're a gay guy, I don't recommend vacationing in Iran anytime soon. You know, it's not going to be a whole lot of gay bars out there. Just, just FYI for you. Because of Muhammad's teachings, there is still slavery taking place today in Muslim countries. Muhammad, a white man, enslaved many people, including black people. Muhammad re- refers to black slaves as one half the value of Arab slaves. He also refers to Ethiopians as raisin heads. He also claimed that Allah would look similar to him and that the devil would look more like one of his black slaves. Safe to say he was definitely a racist and an unapologetic one at that, by the way. His teachings are why spousal abuse is so high in the Islamic world. 20% of Muslim women report abuse in marriage. 40% of women don't report abuse in marriage at all, which means 60% of Muslim marriages are abusive relationships, whether they report it or not. And that's not a minority, that's a majority. 
This is why disgusting things like rape and pedophilia is seen as acceptable in Muslim countries. Muhammad had 11 wives and many concubines who he received by killing their fathers in battle after invading their territories. He married a six-year-old girl named Aisha when he was in his 50s and consummated the marriage when she was nine years old. The Quran describes she hadn't even had her first menstrual cycle yet. The dude fucked a nine-year-old to seal the deal. Muhammad did have one thing in common with Thomas Jefferson, though. He knocked up one of his slave girls as well. I could get into the endless verses where Muhammad either contradicts himself, lies, massacres, or stole rituals from Jews and pagans and implemented them into Islam, but that's for another episode. As for the women's march, since feminists have decided to side with Islamists defending their anti-Semitic views, what about the women who actually come from these Islamic countries? Not the secular ones that you went to school with, but, you know, Muslims who come from war-torn Islamic countries. What about those women? Are you fighting for equality for those women? No, of course not. You wouldn't want to offend the extreme Muslim women beside you pushing their religious agenda to end the Jewish state. Let's talk about real inequalities for women in the world. Gender equality is barely existent in Islamic countries. Women are banned from driving in some countries, for example, Saudi Arabia. Top positions in government are denied to women according to the strict Islamic law based on the Hadith. Kuwait has yet granted women the right to vote. Women are mandated to veil so that they don't provoke rape for men. Not that men should have self-control and respect for women, but so that they don't get raped by men. And women must cover as their husbands dictate. So that means, you know, the husband will tell her how much she has to cover up or how little he would like her to cover up. Women can't be seen in public without a male family member or their husbands. Custody of children is punitive to women. Women in most Islamic countries are legally designated as minors, so they lack many of the rights of their male adult counterparts. Men decide whether women go to work or school. Women can't even give medical consent for themselves in many countries. There's no such thing as marital rape in most Islamic countries. Women can't request a divorce. Only men can divorce by simply saying divorce three times. Divorce, divorce, divorce. Honor killings of women are seen as justified. Vaginal mutilation. Any other marital sex is punishable by death. That means if you're a woman and you get raped, and you get raped, that's considered uh, any additional marital sex, and that means that you could be stoned to death as a woman who was raped. You were already the victim, and now you're going to get victimized again because somehow you didn't manage to protect your your sanctity. Also, women's testimony is only half that of a man's. So where are the feminists on these inequalities? Absolutely silent. They're willing to compromise their own integrity in order to make their movement diverse. Diversity isn't any movement's strength. Human decency is. And there's nothing decent about how Muslim women are treated. But Muhammad approves because according to him, you women only have half the brain of a man.
Yeah, so um, I'm totally sick of Jim Ferreira and his fascist statements. So I'm gonna I'm gonna flood his comment bar with truth of of his fascism because I'm so sick of it. Yeah, yeah, and apparently, if if you leave comments on on his videos, then uh, yeah, what they're gonna do is they're probably gonna read them on his show. Yeah, so. I hope that he reads my comments, but I'm I'm gonna submit my comment right after I get this pumpkin spice from Starbucks. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah, that'll be about five fifty, sir. Ooh, I'm triggered. It's ma'am, ma'am. All right, guys, on the last episode, uh, we talked about what's going on on Mexico's southern border, what Mexico is doing to prepare for this new caravan that's coming, and what the United States is also doing to prepare for this new caravan. Excuse me. Mexico stated they won't allow anyone to enter through Mexico unless they apply for visas. 12,400 visa applications were recently received by the Mexican government. 2,200 visas have been approved so far. Of the 12,000 plus caravan, 2,400 of the members are minors. Organizers of the caravan have been turning to social media to promote and recruit the caravan. So basically they've been hitting Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and YouTube, releasing videos uh, promoting the caravan because they wanna build the caravan up in size because it's harder to manage, harder for the governments to control these people and stop them from illegally entering the country. Three-fourths of the caravan are made up by Hondurans, including 1,800 of the 2,400 miners. So only 2,200 visas have been approved so far. That means there's a lot of unhappy campers right now and most likely people willing to cross Mexico's border illegally anyways to achieve their ultimate goal. They fucking want to come to America. What did the mayor of Tijuana have to say about the last caravan? Well, he said this, no city in the world is prepared to receive this. He described the caravan as an avalanche or a tsunami. This is insinuating the mass number of illegal low-skilled workers flooding Tijuana streets are not manageable and are unpredictable. Tijuana has spent $40,000 per day for caravan members. They received over 6,000 illegal immigrants and had only prepared for 3,500 people. One-third of the caravan were treated for illnesses, and they came with a shit ton of illnesses. Caravan members brought lice infestations. Over 60% had respiratory illnesses, tuberculosis, skin infections, chicken pox, foreign flu illnesses, HIV, and hepatitis. They had to put up no spitting signs in the streets to keep the migrants from spreading illnesses. Because in their tents, the caravan members were constantly coughing and spitting. They piss in public, litter, and leave clothes and human shit in the streets. They complain about the housing that has been provided for for many and the local food that has been given to them free of charge. Crime has skyrocketed in Tijuana, especially the breaking and entering of citizens' homes. B&Es, 
hot burglaries. That means when people are actually home, there's people breaking into their homes. These are the issues that are coming across our border. Is it really a coincidence, the timing of this caravan? It seemed, it seemed convenient last time while Democrats were screaming no wall and arguing with President Trump. And now, now, they launched this caravan during a shutdown expecting the government wouldn't be opened in time. Unfortunately for them, the president just opened the government for three weeks. My thought is this. The caravan is the reason he opened the government to prepare for this large wave of illegal immigrants. I honestly believe that. I mean, I couldn't really think of any other reason. I know, I know they say, you know, they wanted to make sure that uh, federal workers got paid. I think there was some truth to that as well, but I honestly believe this caravan is supposed to be bigger than the last one. So I honestly believe that this is the main focus on why uh, the Trump administration opened the government and the Republicans voted to do so as well. And this was also Lindsey Graham's idea. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham said this, I think, weeks ago, that he was alluding to and trying to uh, convince the president to open the government for three weeks so that that way they can progress with negotiations with Democrats. But this is why President Trump said yesterday, only fools are those with a political agenda don't want a wall. As I broke down last episode, we know factually and statistically walls are extraordinarily effective. They work too well, and it'll never mesh with the hypocritical Democrats' voter base agenda. Okay, and now for an update on, uh, well, I guess the burden of illegal immigration on U.S. taxpayers. Uh, so far, today, today alone, we spent $709 million on illegal immigrants. Just in one day. That's how much we spent today. Total number of illegal immigrants who have crossed the border this year is 13,979. The total cost for the year, now remember, we're only one month into 2019. We've already spent almost $20 billion on illegal immigrants. That's 19799000000 million. That's how much we spent on illegal immigrants. For, for just January. And the total number of aliens in the United States right now is 25,772,199. That is a lot of people that should not be here. And we are paying for them to be here. And people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi don't see a problem with this. They they don't want to spend $5 billion to fix a $20 billion problem, which has only been one month. We've spent $20 billion in one month. Of course, these estimates are provided by the Center of Immigration Studies, Department of Homeland Security, Federation of Immigration Reform, and Institute for Defense Analysis.
All right, guys, I appreciate all the listeners who tuned in for this episode of Elephant in the Room. But if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Facebook. It's Jim Ferreira 91. That's Jim, F-E-R-R-E-I-R-A 91. Or Instagram, Jim underscore Ferreira 90. Or Twitter, Jim Ferreira 90. Or you can you can subscribe to my website that will be available February 5th at elephantintheroomtalk.net. I've got to give a shout out to Anchor for providing this platform for people like me. Anchor.fm slash start. If you are interested in starting your own podcast, that's anchor.fm slash start. We are the elephant in the room. Jim Ferreira signing out.